Genesis 17, 15 to 18, 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she, be she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a woman or born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. of interaction between God and Abraham, where God is still saying, I'm going to accomplish some pretty astounding things in your life, and Abraham and now Sarah, I'm so glad we can finally call them by those names, it's so much easier for me to remember, uh, and now Abraham and Sarah are still kind of struggling through trying to understand how God's going to accomplish all of these 
these things that he's saying he's going to do. These amazing things where he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to multiply you, make you great, make you, make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless the whole earth through you, and, and, and all of these amazing things. Look at the stars of the sky. That's how many children you, your family will be. Like All of these things that are so um, unimaginable and seemingly impossible for them. And he's still, he's still struggling to see how all of those things are going to work. And, and I still come back to that thought, that, just that idea that, that, that God is trying to do things that are impossible or seem impossible um, to us. And he's going to do those kinds of things using us, through us, that sort of thing. And, and, it's, and it's, it can be an overwhelming thought to think some of the things that God said he's going to do or some of the things that God has laid on our hearts to try to hopefully accomplish uh, by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, these sorts of things. Uh, and so this morning we're still just going to continue to kind of look at this, this kind of internal struggle they're feeling, and I think that as we look at that, it can really um, affect us as a church and as individual believers um, in how we, I guess, I guess, approach the idea that God wants to do amazing things and really seemingly impossible things uh, through our lives. Let's go ahead and pray real quick. God, um, I just pray that you would be preparing our hearts now for what it is that from the found, before the foundations of the world you knew you were going to do in this moment with these people. Uh, and I just pray that you would soften our hearts and begin to um, shape us to, again, look more like your son, but, but more to just have hearts that that are yours, that are totally surrendered, and God, that, that without fear, without worrying, without second-guessing, are ready to just um, go all in and, and pursue your will with everything that we would have. God, There are so many things in just these verses that speak to your power and your authority and your, your ability to accomplish so many amazing things, all these things that you promise. And God, I just pray that, um, that as we hear these words spoken, these words of, of amazing things that you're going to do, that we wouldn't just look at them kind of kind of in the third person and say, look at what God did then, look at what he did there, but that we would still be the kinds of people who expect that you still do those kinds of amazing things now. And God, I just pray that you would, you would open our eyes to see um, your power and your goodness and your ability to do all of what you say you're going to do, and that we wouldn't, we wouldn't balk at the idea that you would be using us to do that, even, even, even in the context of, of CRC, in Christ Reconciled Church, um, as small as we may be, that you can do amazing things through, through this body of believers. And God, I just pray that we would we'd have our eyes open just to see how big your plan is and how big our impact can be in it um, as we follow your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a couple things that I want us to just kind of notice as we're looking back through Genesis 17 and 18 here. And I think the, the, the first thing that, and when we talked a lot about this, um, when we were talking about uh, Sarah and Hagar 
and Sarah's saying, I've got a solution for God. He, he's, he's given us a task that is too hard for him. I have a solution. We'll go have, we'll, we'll go have this other son, and then God can fulfill his promise through Ishmael. And, and I think that, that line of thinking is still kind of present within Abraham, right? Because as God comes to him and says, Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. And, and Abraham, you know, he, he laughs at it. He says, I'm 100 years old, man. She is 90 years old. This is, this is not something that's going to happen. This, is, this doesn't seem like anything that's possible. Oh, oh but, but don't forget, we had this other kind of contingency plan already established for you. I'm still willing for you to let the contingency plan of Ishmael be the one through whom your promises come. Right? There, there's still an out for you here because this seems impossible. There's, there's no way that this is going to happen, right? Right. Later on in the, in the verses when, when, when Sarah is hearing it, 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 says, it says the way of women had ceased to be with her. I'm not going to get into all of what that means, but basically it means she's not going to have kids at this point. She's, she's past the point where she can have children. This seems impossible. And this is what Abraham's saying. He's saying, God, you're saying something that, that is not realistic, but I still have this solution. I still have this other son. You can still use him and it would still count because he's my son and that's the promise that you made that you would, use one of my, you would use my son to fulfill all these promises. And God says, no, I really am going to do this the way that I want to. Don't worry. I still hear your plea. I will still bless Ishmael, right? He's still going to grow Ishmael into a great nation. He says princes are going to come from him. He doesn't give him the same, the same exact promise that, that will ultimately come that will ultimately come through Sarah's son, right? But, but he says, I'm still going to grow him into a nation. I'm not going to forget him. Even though, even though it, was, it was sin that led to him being here, I'm still going to, in, in grace, bless his family and make something great of him. I'm still going to honor that he is your son. So God is still, again, demonstrating, demonstrating mercy, but, but Abraham's still just kind of struggling to see how all of this is going to work, and he's still trying to help God fix it. And, and again, no matter, and that's why I think that we keep kind of hitting this thing over and over again. We have to keep the big picture mindset of how God works, and that's why we're looking at Genesis the way that we are, because we have to continually be reminding ourselves God is able to accomplish these impossible things that he says he's going to do, because we can so easily lose sight of it. It's like... It's, it's, it's one of those, I don't know how we're going to survive a three-year-old, right? And then we do. I don't know how we're going to survive a four-year-old. I don't know how we're going to survive a first grader, but we've almost done it. It's a little touch and go. But, but every year, we, we've, always, we've always kind of said, as we've been raising Ellie, this is, this is not easy. This is really hard. It's, it's one of those things. I don't know how we're supposed to be able to do it. This is, this is impossible. Surely, surely there's another way. And God continually says, no, no, you're going to get through this. I'm going to get through this with you. It seems impossible, but there is, there is hope. You can just keep going. Keep trusting me. Keep your big picture mindset that I'm able to help. If I'm able to, if I'm able to give a 90-year-old woman a baby which we're going to talk more about that in a second. If I'm able to do those things, uh, I think you can survive first grade as parents, maybe. But we, we, so easily, we so easily look, again, we get blinders on and we just look at the immediate situation around us and we lose sight of how powerful and gracious our God is and how able he is to, to do amazing things even in the context that he's placed us, even if the context that he has placed us in sometimes does not look like what we would expect we would desire. Even if our desires are like, oh, I wish we had 
I wish we had, I always go back to a pool, but I think a pool's like, if I had a pool, everything would be great. But no, you don't need a pool. If we had, if we had, I don't know, better stage lighting, or if we had a better sound system, or, or if we had five mics on all the drums instead of just two mics on all the drums. That would sound so much. And yes, those things would be great. But, but God's saying, don't look at your current. I, I just picked a whole bunch of like technical music-y kind of things. Sorry. But like whatever that thing is that, that, you, that you look around, even, even at your house or in your family, oh, if only we all got along so much better and these people didn't fight in this way, then everything would be good we can so get our blinders on and only see what's right in front of us and lose sight of the fact that God has a big picture plan and he's using us as believers, as his church, to accomplish that plan. And he's called us to do amazing, powerful, wonderful, impossible big things. But we think, oh, that can't happen because look at the situation that we're in. Oh, it's not going to work out that well because look at, look at, look at my current set of circumstances. Look at how hard it is in the life that I'm currently living, or look at how difficult it may be for me if I continue in this. I, 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 big things can be accomplished, but it'd be easier for them to be accomplished if I, was, if I had this job, or if I had this status, or if I had this group of friends, or if I had these people around me. It's so easy to, to say, God, I know you want to accomplish something amazing, but you can accomplish something more amazing through me if maybe I put myself in a place where it's uh, more comfortable, so I'm less distracted by the things that aren't around me. And God's saying, don't lose sight of the fact that, that I've got this guy that I called out of his family to leave his family, and I said, I'll tell you to go somewhere. I'll tell you when you get there. And he just blindly has been following God ever since. And God says, I'm going to do amazing things through you. And, and, and he's still got some humanity, and he's still struggling. He still hears, Sarah's going to have a son, and he laughs about it. And God says, fine, I'm going to remind you that you didn't trust me on this day. You're going to call your son Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. So every day, for the rest of your life, when you're talking to your son, you're going to be reminded of the fact that you laughed at the idea that I was going to give you a son through Sarah. But just, just the name that he calls for him to give his son is going to be a constant reminder that he had blinders on and he lost sight of the big picture of who God was and what God was able to accomplish. And so, and so as we read through this whole story, we see, we see that, that Abram has his doubts. Sarah had her doubts. She laughed when, when these men who Abram, Abraham was, was serving said, you're going to have a son when we come back here in a year. And she's laughing. They're like, hey, you laughed. She's like, I didn't laugh. And they're like, no, you did laugh. Right? right? She, they're both having this struggle. But in that moment, even in that moment when Abraham is still trying to, to help God out. I've got another son. I've got another solution. We can figure this out. God says, no, I just want you to trust me. And what's the next thing that Abraham does? He goes and he circumcises all the men in his household. He answers the call that God gave him the week before when he said, Circumcision is going to be the, the symbol that you are a part of the covenant with, with me, that you're trusting me. So even though Abraham is still trying to kind of reconcile all of this in his brain, trying to have all of this make sense, 
ultimately, he still submits to God and says, I'm going to obey you. So Abraham's obedience with regard to circumcision shows that even though it seemed hilariously impossible to him that Sarah would have a son, he still trusted God and obeyed. And sometimes that's what it takes. I don't see how you're going to do this, God, but I'm going to obey you nonetheless. Sometimes the things that God calls us to seem really ridiculous. Why is it that we dunk people underwater? Hi, I want to join your club. Okay, fine, I'm going to dunk your head under some water real quick. That seems weird. Circumcision seems weird. But yet... We, we obey in these things that God calls us to because it's a demonstration of our, of our faith in God to accomplish the things He says He's going to accomplish. We get baptized because we believe that God has saved us and we're, and we're demonstrating our faith that He's going to fulfill what He promised and add us to His family, adopt us as His son or daughter. So even though Abraham is still struggling, even though he's still not 100% there, even though he still doesn't understand how God's really going to do this, because it doesn't make sense that a 100-year-old guy with his 90-year-old wife are going to have a baby. He's still obedient. And in his obedience, he leads his wife to obedience. Within that, you, you, hear, him, you hear her call him, my Lord. And, and this actually gets picked up by, by Peter in 1 Peter 3. It's going to be on the screen, 3 through 5. It says, Or how is this, or how the, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Abraham is leading his wife through this seemingly impossible place. And she, even though she still is not understanding it, is accepting Abraham's leadership as God established their relationship should be. He's saying, we're still going to believe in what God has said. I'm still going to circumcise all these guys in our camp. And she still says, I'm still here with you, even though this sounds crazy to me. This is kind of where their relationship is. But sometimes, sometimes one person in the relationship is more attuned to the will of God and we, have to, and we have to rely on the other to kind of build up our confidence so that we can say, okay, I may not see it right now, but I trust that you're following Jesus. I mean, that's, that's hopefully what, and, and this hopefully what your relationship is like with the elders in that, not that you think we're perfect, but that, that you trust that we're trying to follow the will of God, and, and if we say something and you don't understand it, you, you kind of give us not the benefit of the doubt, not you don't ever ask questions, but that, that hopefully you, you trust that we're trying to pursue the will of God, and you're coming along with us, and that we're going to try to figure out how to understand and wrap our brains around what God calls us to, even when it doesn't necessarily make sense. That's kind of what we're seeing modeled here in Abraham and Sarah's relationship. Just this, this idea that, that they don't really see how God's going to accomplish this thing that he's saying he's going to do. But they're going to kind of support one another and go forward in it and see, see what happens.
And, and it's not surprising that by the age of 90, she doubts that God is going to give her a baby. Right? I mean, think, think through what it was that she said. Oh, like now I get to have joy? Now you're going to do this for me? Like when I'm 90, I've been wanting... I, she, maybe we can assume that they've wanted to have a baby for a long period of time, and yet that still hasn't happened. She, oh, now I get to have joy. Almost sarcastically saying, oh, this is the time that God says. Now that it's not possible, you're just kind of teasing me with this idea. It's not surprising that this would be hard for Sarah to work through. And there are a lot of us who can kind of relate to the struggle and the pain that she was probably feeling in this moment. I mean, think back to when, when Hagar had Ishmael and she kind of started, and Hagar started looking down on Sarah and it made Sarah mad because like, oh, she has a baby and now she's angry with her. This, 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 you can kind of feel this tension that has built up within her. Lots of people have struggled with infertility. Tiff and I struggled with infertility. For two years, we prayed and prayed and prayed and went through all kinds of different, maybe it's this reason, maybe it's this reason, maybe it's this reason, maybe it's this solution, maybe it's this solution, maybe it's this solution. And we waited and waited and prayed. And for a while, we kept all of that into ourselves because it felt like not the sort of thing that you should talk about with other people because that just sounds weird to say, hey, we want to talk about this area of our lives that's usually kept pretty private. We're not really interested in, in sharing that, or at least I wasn't, until she said, we should really ask the church to pray for this with us. And it's not uncommon. And, 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 if you, and if you live that way, it can feel like it's only you that's struggling with that. And it's, it's not only you that's struggling with that. And it can feel like maybe it's your fault that this isn't happening. It's only on me. It's only because I'm broken. It's only because something's not right about, about me that this isn't happening. I'm the one who has to fix something or else I'm never going to have a baby. It, it, may, it may feel like it's, it's your fault and it's hopeless or that it's impossible. And I think it's worth us seeing here that, that, that since even before there was an Israel, even before when the covenant was established, there were people that had this exact same struggle that so many people struggle with even now, even today. And it's easy to look at these things and be hurt and sad and feel like things are impossible And it's easy to lose sight and put on blinders and say, this is the situation that I'm trapped in. There's no way out of this situation. There's no hope. I have to try to fix it through this, through this, through this. And we forget that we have a God who's powerful and able to overcome anything. Isaiah 66, 9 says, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? He's saying, I'm the one who's in control of this. I've got this. God is a God, our God is a God who gives and withholds fertility, and He does these things according to His will and His purpose and has a plan behind it. Who knows what the reason is for every individual situation, why someone does or does not yet have a baby. But it's really, because again, it's really easy to get trapped 
with our blinders on and, not, and lose sight of, of God's big plan, God's big picture, why he's doing certain things the way he's doing at any particular time, especially when you're in it. It's easier to look back and say, oh, this is why. Like, like it's one thing to say, wow, I hate that we went through those two years. But if we hadn't gone through those two years, we wouldn't have the kid that we have. We would have a different kid. And I might not have liked that kid as much because I really like the kid that I ended up with. She's pretty fun. So he gave us the perfect kid for us to have at the perfect time. At the time when I got to the point where I wasn't ready to be so, so, so proud and say, no, this is something we can take care of on our own. We don't need to include other people in it. Maybe there was a time of humbling that had to come for me so that I could say, no, I need to ask the church to pray for this with me. I'm struggling through how to handle this. Maybe there's a reason we didn't need to have kids at the time that we thought we wanted to start having children. Maybe there's some reason that we were called to wait. Maybe there was some, some life change or some, some maturing that needed to take place in one of our lives. Or, or who knows what God's reasons were, but I can tell you I'm really happy with the result in the end. And I'm really happy that now I have that story that I can tell when we're sitting here looking at, at a 90-year-old woman who's, who's a little bit annoyed that God said, she was going to have a kid when that was, that's impossible. It's not going to happen at this point. And she's, and she's kind of let go of that as a possibility, as even an option. But, but when we take the blinders off and we say, God is doing something, there is a reason. We can remember that God says, I'm the one who does this. I'm the one who makes this happen. I'm the one who says yes or no when you're praying and asking, can we have a family yet? And while we pray that God would give us children, we can still rejoice in knowing that whether or not he says yes is within his control and he has a plan while we continue to wait. Our identity or our value can't be wrapped up in what God has or has not yet given to us. But rather, our identity is in who God says we are right now. And that our joy can still be in him because of who he has us right now. And this is a lesson that that I don't think Abraham and Sarah had yet learned because they're still questioning how is God going to do this impossible thing. And you may be in that situation or you may know someone who has been in that situation or continues to struggle through this situation. And it doesn't have to be infertility. It can be any sort of life situation. It can be any situation where you say, there is no hope of escape from this. I am trapped. It is impossible. There is nothing that can be done. There is no way out. This is it. This is my lot in life. I live in this now. There's nothing. This does not mean that there is no hope, even if things seem unlikely or even impossible. And I was thinking through this idea of things being impossible and the perfect line from the perfect movie came to me. We'll watch the clip and then we'll talk about it. Ready? Second, not before you bother telling me it's impossible. No, it's perfectly possible. It's just bloody difficult. Just, Arthur keeps telling me it can't be done. 
need done before? We tried it. We got the idea in place, but it didn't take. You didn't plant it deep enough? No, I thought it was about depth. You know, you need the simplest version of the idea in order for it to grow naturally in the subject's life. That's nice of luck. So what is this idea that you need? Well, we need the heir of a major corporation to dissolve his father's empire. You see right there, you have various political motivations and anti-monopolistic sentiments and so forth, and all that stuff and so on. Once we get the mercy of your subject's prejudice, you see, all you have to do is start the absolute basic. Which is what? We can just all sit and watch that movie later. That's the best movie ever. So that's that. Has everybody seen that? Has everybody seen Inception? Okay. So just to kind of give you some context, what he's talking about there, he's saying we have to plant an idea in somebody's mind through a, through a science fiction means that we will not break, break down right now. We have this thing that we have to do. Now, before you tell me it's impossible, and the guy interrupts him and says, Oh, it's perfectly possible. It's just really hard. And he, and he says, because everybody around me is telling me this thing is impossible. There's no way you can do it. He's like, oh, no, no, no. You just have to have a bigger picture mindset of what's actually at stake. You have, to, you have to approach it from a different mindset. You can't just think, we have to place an idea in somebody's mind and it has to feel natural. Because that, that sounds impossible. But when you say, we have to get down to the, the absolute core of what this thing is, so that we can accomplish it. Then, then it becomes, then it's just really hard and we have to figure out the best way, the best way to go about it. You may be thinking, okay, so you're showing us this movie just because you like this movie, and I do really like that movie. It's one of the best movies ever made. But this idea that, that things aren't actually possible, that are that these things that seem impossible are not actually impossible is actually a biblical idea. Matthew 19, verse 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There's a really old Hillsong song I should ask Nick to sing. All things are possible. No? We're over that one? We've grown past that song? But... But this idea that something we look at as daunting, impossible, unable to accomplish, there's no way, there's no chance, it's not going to happen. We have to change our mindset. We have to change the way we approach these things. We have to have a bigger picture understanding of who it is that we're working with. We're working with a God who created everything. We're working with a God who created everything out of nothing. And when we're approached with a seemingly impossible task, like a 90-year-old woman going to have a baby however impossible that may seem, we have to remember that our God is a God who isn't just capable of overcoming the difficult. He's a God who overcomes the impossible. Right? I mean, I mean, think about the greatest moment in the history of the world. The death and resurrection of Jesus. The thing that we're going to celebrate in one week. This idea that a guy was dead, buried for three days, was raised back to life, that's not difficult. That's impossible. But that God interceded in that and raised him up from the dead. Right? That is impossible. I can't do that. You can't do that. 
But God says, I can raise him, that's nothing. With God, that's a no-brainer. There's nothing, there's nothing problematic at all for him. And, and, and this is out of context from what he's really talking about in that clip, but I love that at the end he says, the thing that matters most is the relationship with the Father. Right? That's where it ends. The simplest form of the idea is we have to address the relationship that this guy has with his father. And I think for us to really approach the idea of being called to something impossible or feeling like there's no escape from an impossible situation that we find ourselves in, we first have to examine what is our relationship with the Father. How are, we, how are we connected to the God of the universe who created everything and who's able to accomplish the impossible like it's nothing because of who he is? We can't have a small view of what is possible for God even when things seem hard. When we have that right perspective that, that no, it's not impossible and it's easy for him, that, that may mean it's still going to be really difficult for us it may be something that we're still going to continue to struggle with. It may be something that's going to be really hard to grasp or really hard to overcome. But we can't, we can't put the God that we serve into a tiny box and just say, he can't do that. There's no hope. There's no way out. It seems impossible that, that the church could overcome the opioid crisis. Right? It seems impossible that this thing that is so out of control that now some people are saying that this is the first generation that's going to outlive their children on average because of overdose deaths. It seems impossible that a church our size could play a significant role within overcoming the opioid addiction in our region. But yet, CRC is becoming recognized throughout this region and even parts of the country for the way that we are uniquely positioned to build relationships and love people who are struggling with addiction and are trapped in that, in addiction, in prison. I mean, we just spent time praying for friends that we have that are in prison or are going to prison or are going to be transitioning out of prison who the world would say, we need to stay away from those people. They're dangerous. But we are uniquely positioned to build such strong relationships with those and feel our hearts just break for them and this desire to see them know and love Jesus and grow and be impactful in this world. It seems impossible that a church with, how many of us are there? 25, 30 of us here? It seems impossible that a church our size could have a meaningful role in that. But yet, God is giving us a place that we can have a significant impact. It may seem impossible that we could find genuine community in a community so small. But Jesus had 12 guys, and only three of them were really close to him. And all of them left the comfort of, of an established job, maybe even a, 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 a cushy house. They left everything that they had to go live in a tiny little community with not much and be killed. It's not easy. It's really hard. 
But yet, they found the community. It was possible. It was not impossible. It may seem impossible to think that we'll be able to teach our kids the Word of God with small classes and, and, and scrambling to find teachers and scrambling to find crafts that are sometimes thrown together at the last minute. We don't have many bells and whistles that could come with a lot more big church infrastructure And we have so little time because we're always pulled in so many different directions. Because we all have jobs and we all have different relationships that we're trying to maintain. And it can seem impossible that we're actually going to be able to raise our kids in the way that we have in our minds. Like, well, I was raised with this kind of a Sunday school program, and that, that, so that's how I learned all these things. And, and how's Ellie going to learn all of this if we don't have all of that? But then, but then a couple days ago, while she was getting ready for school, she was, she was being sassy, obviously, to me. And I said, you're being really sassy. You're something like this. And she said, Dad, you only said that because God made you. And I went, Yeah. She said, he knew you were going to say that too. He's the one who's in control and he made you say that. I'm like, I didn't even know I've raised a Calvinist. Yes! Like, like, I haven't taught her the theology of the sovereignty of God and all the depths that I've been taught it, but yet, but yet God gave me this moment of clarity where he's like, she's hearing the things that we're teaching. She's understanding that God is the God of the universe and sovereign over everything and that he's in control of all that he's made and, and she's getting that. She's hearing it. It's, it's taking root in her. And I can't, take, I can't take credit for all that. All I can say is, wow, the Holy Spirit is working in amazing ways through a lot of people in a lot of unique ways in this place that she's being raised. Even though it seems impossible that that would happen in the context that God has called us. These things may seem impossible, but really it's just that they're really difficult for us. And to God, they aren't even that. It's nothing for him to give a 90-year-old woman a baby. Just like it's nothing for him to give a couple struggling with infertility, like we did, a baby. It's nothing for him to do amazing things through a church like CRC, even with all of our limitations. And I'm not saying that makes it easy I'm not saying what we do is easy, but it's so necessary. Because we, as the church, do not have a choice. People are dying. People are being released from prison with no support. People are trying to make it with no love from the church. We have an amazing and very difficult opportunity and a very difficult calling. It's one that that may cause us pain because we have to sacrifice so much. It may be that we have to sacrifice our time. It may be that we have to sacrifice our paychecks. It may be that we have to sacrifice our comforts and amenities. It may be that we have to sacrifice having a a really comfortable, peer-looking circle of friends that we would hope that we get to have. We may be called away from the job and the family fishing in the boats because he says, get out of your boats and come follow me. It may be that wherever it is that you are now, he says, yeah, that seems sensible that you would be there, but I have something 
far more urgent. There are people who are dying from addiction, and you are in a place where you can build a relationship and love them. I need more of you. And you're like, I'm giving so much. He's like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you through this because I can do the impossible. You're like, it seems unthinkable that I could give more or that I could stretch myself even thinner. But God says, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. He may call us away from the comforts that we know. He's already called us to this small body of believers that doesn't have a whole lot of comforts and amenities. We got really good pasta. We have really good pasta and really good times to sit and eat pasta together, right? But we don't have, we don't have the nicest floors. We don't have finished walls. We don't have... We don't have lots of things. And it's easy to look around and say, look at what we don't have. And it's really hard to look around sometimes and say, but look at what, look at what we do have. We do have an amazing opportunity. And, and I think when it gets hard, and, I'm, and this is me, I'm preaching to me right now too. Because, because this kind of ministry is hard and it's draining But why should we be the ones who, when it gets hard, we are the ones who pull the ripcord and bail? Why is it that we have to be the ones who say, obviously, this is too hard. We should go somewhere where it's easier. Why can't we be the ones? Because there's too much at stake. Why can't we be the ones inspiring the church to love people who they would deem unlovable or scary or uncomfortable to be around? Why can't we be the ones who are changing the hearts of the rest of the church? Why can't we be the ones who are pushing so hard to see people's motivations and desire to love others change? Why can't we be the ones saying, you need to leave the things that you have. You need to get out of the boat and you need to come with us. You need to get out, get off of the pews. We don't have pews, so I can say that. You need to come get down in the trenches. Yes, it's dirty. Yes, you're going to want to bring some sanitizer, if that's you. Yes, it's going to be painful. Yes, people are going to let you down. Yes, you're going to feel like you're accomplishing nothing. Yes, you're going to look around and say, well, where has this person been? I haven't seen them in a while. And then you're going to find out, oh, they died because they OD'd three weeks ago. And you're going to say, well, I had this one opportunity. Oh, I hope you took advantage of that one opportunity. The world is dying and without hope, and we have the answer, and we are in a unique place where we, as Christ-reconciled church, this local expression of the body of Christ, have been uniquely positioned in a way that we can build relationships with people that so many other churches cannot. And you may think that it would be impossible to find satisfaction in this kind of life. And there have been so many who have been here before who have tried and found it hard and thought it to be impossible and said, we're going to bail. We're going back over here. I'm not getting what I need out of this, so I'm going to leave now. I'm not finding satisfaction in this, but we can find our satisfaction in Jesus Christ. 
That is where our hope should be placed. That is where our satisfaction should be placed. Not in the difficult situation that we find ourselves. Not in the thing that we can so put our blinders on and say, this is all that I see in front of me. There is no hope. There is no way out. There is no chance for redemption out of this. It is impossible. Not even God could do this. I'm going to have to find him a better solution. But no, we have to take the blinders off and see God for who he is and what he is able to accomplish. And the simplicity of his message and the beauty of his bride, the church, because we have no choice. Let's pray.